Today's guest is someone I am thrilled to have on the show. He is the founder and director of 100 for Haiti, which provides medical supplies and food to people in Haiti since the tragic earthquake. He is also a world-renowned motivational speaker and focuses on the things that I love, creativity, passion, and human connection. He has spoken at TEDx, many Fortune 500 companies, major universities, and his biggest engagement ever was the Largay Travel Company Retreat. He's not only a public speaker, but he's also an entertainer. He's juggled his way around the world, sharing his joy of life. Welcome to the show, Greg Bennett. Uh, thanks so much for having me. That's wonderful. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, for those of you who don't know, Greg and I went to high school together. We were in the band and it's really fun. That's one thing I love about social media is that we get to stay in touch. It's incredible. And the fact that we reconnected, you know, after so many years, many people from high school, from college happened to stay in touch. You and I dropped out of touch for 20 years and then came back in touch and did this tremendous event for Largay Travel a few years ago, which was so much fun, not just the event itself, but to reconnect with you. So yes, hooray for social media and bringing us together. Absolutely. So I know that you do public speaking around the world, but a few things about you really interest me. One is this 100 for Haiti. You actually got involved when traveling, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Well, after the earthquake, I realized that I'd been in Haiti eight months before the earthquake and met a number of people. And after the quake happened, I realized that I needed to check in on those friends. Well, some friends of mine from Connecticut were actually going to Miami and they had a sailboat and they were going to be bringing medical supplies and food to the people of Haiti. And I joined that sailboat run right after the quake and we brought 12,000 pounds of supplies and food via sailboat to Haiti. We sailed for eight days and nights. We were the first private relief boat to make it to the southern coast of Haiti as far as we've been told. And I stayed in Haiti when the boat sailed back to the United States because I wanted to check in on friends and check the, you know, the conditions in Haiti. And I realized that the ongoing work was going to be necessary there. I mean, it wasn't a revelation on my part. Everyone knew that ongoing work and philanthropy was going to be necessary in an ongoing way. So I formed an organization called 100 for Haiti. The idea originally was that 100 people would donate $1,000 each to Haitian relief and that I'd continue supporting a doctor I knew in Port-au-Prince who was giving away medical care and medicine for free. But what ended up happening was two things. One is that many, many, many donations at a much, much, much lesser amount per donation started coming in. Yeah. And that actually made the organization sustainable. But the other thing that happened was that I realized that sending medical supplies and food creates a cycle of dependency in people. So 100 for Haiti switched to being a development organization. And for the last 10 years, we've been working on development projects in rural Haiti to really enhance and uphold and uplift communities. Wow. I have to say, Greg, I mean, I've worked with projects all over the world. What I love about 100 for Haiti, which I am a donor, is that you guys update us and let us know what's happening down there. And you incorporated this all because of a trip that you took and a passion that you had and friends that you made. And I just love it. You know, and the thing about travel is that we're always thinking, and this is a fault of ours, not of travel. The thing about travel is we're always thinking about the next trip, right? So when we're in the middle of this one and it's great, a part of our brain's already thinking about the next one. Like, wow, where will, am I going to go next year? That yeah. kind of crazy, just nonstop chatter in our minds. But the thing is, is that I realized that I do that too. 
And I wanted with Haiti to stay committed to one project. So that one trip, that one travel experience on that sailboat to Haiti, I decided to make that my focus. And it has been for the last 10 years. Now, of course, I've done immense amounts of travel to countless other places, but the focus of my philanthropy and humanitarian work has consistently been Haiti. And I feel really good about that. And I owe that to, of course, to travel itself, but then also resetting my brain a bit and thinking, wait a minute, I could come back and travel to the same place again. What a concept. And uh, really build relationships there. Yes. Well, and I have that same connection. I work with America Share over in Kenya. And I'll tell you, I have two children that I've sponsored over the years and, and it's fantastic. But I do understand that sense of anticipation and intrigue. And But I love that you've kind of grounded yourself back to that one project that you're passionate about. Yeah, I love it. I'm just so happy about it still. And more importantly, the people of Haiti who ultimately 100 for Haiti works for, they're happy. So, you know, we do what we can, when we can, with the resources that we have. And we're always asking the Haitian people, what do you want? What do you need? And then we help make those dreams a reality. And people can find out more at 100forhaiti.org. And I'm sure the link will be along with the episode. Absolutely. So not to move off that subject, but I'm going to move off that subject for a second. I know that you do public speaking around the world. I've seen your TED Talk. I've seen a lot of what you've done on video and YouTube, and you've certainly inspired my company. Talk to me about you traveling and how you kind of manage your power of play when you're traveling. Well, I actually prioritize it and you're catching me at a really good time because for the last few months, I've been focusing on self-care here at home. And I start every day with a yoga class. Like I've been to six yoga classes this week and then I'm eating right and I'm sleeping more and I'm just really taking care of myself. And I find that when I travel, if I prioritize that too, everything that I'm involved in on that trip, whether it's a keynote speech for a company, whether it doesn't even matter, it could be humanitarian work, whatever it might be, everything gets better if I take care of myself and have fun for myself on my own terms at the same time. So a couple things. Whenever I'm traveling, say, doing keynotes for organizations, I'm always looking for that city, wherever that event is, for that city's highlight, whether that's a something to see or whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a park or an outdoor space. And I'm always trying to maximize those opportunities because if I'm in Paris and I miss the, you know, the Eiffel Tower, that's, you know, that's heartbreaking essentially. But if I go see it, it's so uplifting. Or let's say I'm in Atlanta or New York City or California or Canada, wherever I might be, if I maximize local opportunities to see incredible things and interact with local people, it enhances the experience overall. So I find a lot of fun in those connections and those, you know, some might say typically sightseeing experiences, but they're typically sightseeing because they're awesome. That's why they're typical and, you know, and that's why people flock to them. So I always try to look for those. Awesome. That's great advice. And I know for us, it's one of the things that we really recommend, especially for busy business travelers. I mean, we call it leisure. It's the business leisure that you can kind of put together and create a memorable experience. And maybe it could be a half a day. Maybe it could be adding a long weekend, but that's awesome. Now, there is one other topic. I, you know, I started in December doing this plant-based diet and I have to say I've loved it. But when I travel, it becomes difficult. And I think that for a lot of people who had their New Year's resolutions and diet is something that's really challenging. Talk to me about that because I know that you are a longtime vegan. I would love to hear what you suggest. 
Yeah, I've been vegan for 30 years now, and I actually find it gets easier and easier and easier while traveling. There's only a couple places on the planet where being vegan is tricky. Haiti is one of them. Being vegan in Haiti is tricky. Not impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but a little tricky. But anywhere in the United States, Canada, South America, Europe, it's actually quite easy. And it's just a function of knowing where to look. And going back just for a moment to our last question. Yeah. But this will add to this one is that one thing I also like to do when traveling is seek out local destinations, things that aren't the Eiffel Tower, say, of a city. For example, I'm, I'm, you know, down the street from a coffee shop in Seattle, which would never be on anybody's radar if you were in the city, but it's where the locals go to get coffee in the morning. If one was to situate themselves in that coffee shop, you'd get such a great local experience, meet people who are just going about their day-to-day lives. And I try to do that sort of thing when I travel too, not just hit the dramatic highlights of each city. Well, the same is true for eating right on the road is that oftentimes it's not the main tourist destination type restaurants that are going to have what you're looking for if your diet is slightly different than the mainstream. So what I do is, you know, I use Happy Cow, which is an app and a website quite a bit that is a destination where people have posted and where the app and website have posted restaurants and grocery stores and vegan and plant-based options just about everywhere on the planet. So that makes things easier. But also I just, you know, I ask questions and that's an element of travel that I think sometimes gets overlooked in our technological age. We're so used to being immersed in our phones that we forget that in-person communication and interaction is not only vital, but can lead to some amazing connections and information. So I asked local people, you know, hey, I, and I happen to be vegetarian. Do you know of anything around here? And all the time, people are like, oh, absolutely. My uncle's a vegetarian. And then I've, you know, made a friend and maybe they're vegan, maybe they're vegetarian or they're curious about it. And I've made a friend and found out something about the local environment as well, all at the same time. That's awesome. And I think what we find as travel advisors is that when our clients actually communicate to us what they're looking for, what they like to eat, what their interests are, we can then build these itineraries that are specific for them, as well as give them the information on the top 10 restaurants that meet their needs and and that type of thing. So it's really fun. And it, it allows us to just know people at a deeper level and then make sure that each time we're working with them, we're connecting them a little bit more. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Last thing I want to ask you, because this I love, and I think this is what cracks me up the most. I know your speaking engagements are big and you're doing these amazing motivational talks and things like this, but I know you're also in a heavy metal rock band and I think it's so cool. <laughs> this is, <laughs> Tell me about this stress reliever for you. I love it. You know, I love that you worded it that way as a stress reliever, because oftentimes, you know, I I do, I sing in three different punk rock bands. And when people hear punk rock, they think loud, aggressive, abrasive, angry. And I've always been really vocal that punk rock and hardcore songs are cathartic. I mean, it's an expression of passion. And while it sounds intense, it's not necessarily rage or, you know, rage for anger's sake. It's actually expression and passion. So I find as I travel around the world doing those tours as well, and then speaking to those sorts of audiences as well, that there's an incredible catharsis that happens when you open up to other people emotionally, when you open up to them with ideas and create 
a situation where they can do the same. Meaning when you create the conditions where someone feels they can be heard and they can be authentic and they can be genuine, then you've uplifted the possibility that they feel like they can grow into themselves. And all of a sudden, then you've got an empowered conversation, an empowered connection. And if you do that repeatedly, you've got an empowered community around you. And even as I'm talking right now, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about the idea of empowered community. Because ultimately, you know, in our companies and corporations, in our keynote speeches, we're trying to create empowered community. That's what I'm always trying to aim for. And that's what I'm always basing my success upon. Have I created in this moment, in this keynote speech, in this punk rock concert, whatever it might be, an empowered community? That's awesome. Greg, I love reconnecting with you and I love what you do in the world, both with 100 for Haiti, both what you do in your motivational speaking and in your spoken word concerts and music. And I'm just so happy. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I look forward to spreading the word about the episode. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. 